0: Hollywood discovered the murder mystery or the mystery movie back in in 1903 with their movie The Great Train Robbery. Now, of the of the four that I showed you, only one of them made the uh, greatest top 50 greatest mysteries of all time. Which one do you think it was of those four I showed you? No. The Born Ultimatum. Born 1 and 2 didn't make it. I don't know who votes on these things, but that's what it was on the internet. Movie Database, IMDb. Anyway, what I want to do today is I want you to, figuratively, we should have made you some, but there's too many of you, sit back and have some popcorn as we're going to look at the greatest mystery of all time. You know what that mystery is? The Trinity. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the idea, the the word Trinity is not in the scripture, and a lot of people get hung up on that idea. The fact that the word Trinity is not there. But what we're going to show you today is that throughout the pages of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, from beginning to end, the idea of the Trinity is there. So don't get hung up on the term itself. The idea is there. The word Trinity is simply a theological term applied to a reality taught in the Bible. So we're going to look at that. When we start in Genesis and eventually go all the way to Revelation, we begin to understand that God has progressively revealed Himself to us. And you think of it this way. The Old Testament is in... um, in black and white. We were at Disney World a few weeks ago and we went on the great movie ride at Hollywood Studios. And the first part of the great movie ride, you just get on this big old barge looking thing and you just drive through this set and it's pretty lame. But, you know, we, we got on anyway. The first movies are old, old movies. They're in black and white and they're telling you about the history of it. But then the Old Testament, if you can think of it like, like black and white movies, the New Testament is in vivid technicolor. When Jesus Christ bursts on the scene, the, the pictures begin to make sense. And, uh, I I don't know about you, but I I was frustrated as a kid because The Wizard of Oz was only in black and white when I was a kid and and we had a color TV and I was frustrated, but now they have colorized it and and I know you're all happy about that. (laughs) God is so big and so powerful that, that you don't discover things about God on your own. God is so big and so powerful that the way you discover or the way that you come to understand Him better is He has to reveal Himself to us. And so the question that we've been asking in this series, we're going to ask for the next month, is how has God revealed Himself to us in the pages of Scripture? And He's revealed Himself to us as the Trinity. The Trinity means um, tri-unity or three-in-oneness. And, and we said last week that you can think of uh, uh, this way. One what and three who's. One God revealed as three distinct persons. Now, let's look at some black and white images from the Old Testament, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, just look on the screen and follow along with us. Then God said, hang on, I got popcorn junk in Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. I like that translation. Scurry along the ground. Now I have a question. Can you go back to that previous slide, there, Danielle? In this previous slide, it says, "Let us make humans in our image, so that they will be like us." Who's who's the us and our in in that translation? It's the Trinity. Now the the. Uh, Actual word here that's translated is a plural of the word majesty. And so you wouldn't be far off from the original meaning if, if you saw it like this. God said, let the majesties create human beings in the majesties image. It's a plural of the majesty of God. So it's the Trinity. And if all you have is the Old Testament, you don't have a real clear picture of, of who the Trinity is or what the Trinity is. Matthew Henry is a commentator. And he studied the Old Testament and the New Testament, and and you can go online and you can check out his commentaries. Here's what he had to say about this passage. Man was to be a creature different from all that had been made. Flesh and spirit, heaven and earth, must be put together in him, and he must be allied to both worlds. And therefore God himself not only undertakes to make him, but is pleased so to express himself as if he called a council to consider the making of him. Think of this, God who existed before the beginning of anything of this world, anything that we know of, God exists, and He calls a council together and says, Let us, majesties, make man. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, consult about it and concur in it, because man, when he was made, was to be dedicated and devoted to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Into that great name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are baptized, for to that great name we owe our being. Now, after Adam and Eve sinned, God put them in the garden. He said, let us create humans in our image. He put them in the garden. They sinned. They ate the forbidden fruit. Notice what it says in Genesis 3.22. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, the, the, the idea here, we are created in God's image. We are not little gods, and we will never become gods. We are supposed to become like God in that we have a spirit that God wants to connect with uh, on a regular basis, we will never be all-powerful. We will never be all-knowing. We can't do that. We're not supposed to become a God. We're supposed to become Christ-like. And so God has this plan for us while we walk on this earth to become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ, so that when we die and we go to heaven, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, what we carry with us is our character. We don't get to carry this body. We don't carry... um necessarily our sense of humor, we carry the character that is formed. This world is a preparation for the next. And so God wants us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. But He said now He's become like one of us, and that's another reference to God, the Majesties uh, consulting with one another. Another black and white image comes from Daniel chapter 3. Now the king of Babylon was named Nebuchadnezzar. What had happened was the Israelites had disobeyed God, and so God allowed a foreign co- uh, country to come and invade their country. They, they take over all of Israel, and what, what they would do back then is they would take the youngest, brightest, um, stars of the future, the, the people they saw the, the most potential in, and they would take them back to their home country, train them, and then kind of fold them into their own society. So they come to Jerusalem, they wipe it out, they take the, the youngest, brightest young men back to Babylon, and they begin to train them. Well, three of those young men were named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you know the story in Daniel chapter 3, what happens is the king, because Nebuchadnezzar thought he was a god, and the people looked at him as a god, and when they would come into his presence, they would say, O king, live forever. Well, that's just stroking his ego. Everybody knew he was going to die, but you didn't say that to the king because you would die. So, O king, live forever. They come in and they say, we've got a great idea, king. Why don't you build this statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and then whenever all the people hear this certain song, we're going to play a song, and they should fall down on their faces and bow to this mighty statue. And we don't know if the statue was in the image of Nebuchadnezzar or just one of the gods that he supposedly served as a god. But so he goes, that's a great idea. So they build this 90-foot hall, tall hall, statue. And they overlay it with gold and they begin playing the song. And and all of the people that heard the song (laughs) on their faces and they bow to this golden image. Except these Jewish boys who were who were um, in uh they were in the uh the governments of the of the of Babylon. They had already been given pretty high assignments, and the king gets ticked. I can't have anybody in my government who won't bow down to this image I have made. So the Bible says he's furious. And he sends for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come see him. So they come into his presence, and and the king says, Is this true? And they're like, Yeah. You won't bow to this image? No. And the king says, Okay. Because I'm a benevolent king, I'm I'm putting my my, uh, emphasis here. He says, I'll give you another chance. Now this is straight out of the Bible. I will give you another chance. When you hear the music here in a second, I'm going to give you another chance because you're good guys and you're in my government and I I want you to to do well. If you will bow down to this image when the music plays, then the Bible says, then very well, all will be forgiven. But then he says, if you will not, this is is classic, he says, if you will not, what God is there that will protect you from my hand? Now, if you have your Bibles and you want to look at, at Daniel I I picture the three guys there. I mean, they've already stood up against him. Everybody is out there. Everybody that is anyone in Babylon is there to watch the showdown between the king and these three Jewish boys. And they go, um, we know just such a God. Look what they say in Daniel three seventeen and 18. The God we worship can save us from you and your flaming furnace. But even if he doesn't, we still won't worship your gods and the gold statue you have set up. So what they're saying is, we know such a God who can deliver us. But whether He delivers us or whether we die, that could all be part of His plan. We don't know, but we will not bow down. And, and if you read the Scripture, um, they're polite in their response, and, and they say, what kind of God can deliver us? You know, the Trinity. We know such a God. And when they said that, the Bible says that the king was filled with rage, and his expression toward them changed. I think that was probably an understatement. So he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tied up. He has the furnace heated up seven times hotter than normal. He has warriors. It says the warriors come and they take them and they throw them into the furnace. The furnace was so hot that the warriors immediately die, which would kind of freak me out. You know, I wouldn't, don't choose me, king, live forever. Pushes them in, they all die. And then look what the king says in Daniel chapter three. Suddenly the king jumped up and shouted, weren't only three men tied up and thrown into the fire? All of his yes men say, yes, your majesty, <laughs> the people answered. But I see four men walking around in the fire. The king replied, none of them is tied up or harmed. And the fourth one looks like a god. The The fourth one looks like something I've never seen before. The king realizes that what is happening here is not natural. It's Supernatural. And he calls him out and he says, Oh, you gotta come out. I, I gotta meet this God. Now, now the, the, the supernatural one doesn't come out with him. He just protects them. Says when they come out, not even, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And they said, and, and King says, Oh, what is, who is this God? We must serve your God. Now we, theologians believe this was a, a An Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ is called a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, meaning before he came in the flesh, this was some type of appearance. We don't know for sure, but we know that it radically impacted Nebuchadnezzar. And so we've got this image, this black and white image, something happened there. Throughout the Old Testament, you see all kinds of images of God um, sending either His Spirit or we, we hear of the angel of the Lord coming and appearing to people and, and the angel of the Lord accepts worship and the only one that accepts worship is God. You see all kinds of things, but in the Old Testament, it's black and white. In the New Testament, though, when Jesus comes, it becomes vivid technicolor. Last week, we read a passage, we're going to read it again where Jesus, the last thing Jesus says before he leaves the earth, he's already been crucified, he's already been resurrected, he's calling his disciples together for one last thing, and he says, okay, here it is, guys, here's in a nutshell what you're supposed to do, what the church is supposed to do, Matthew twenty eight nineteen, Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples, and notice what he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This passage in the New Testament goes back and answers for us what what is going on in Genesis. Who was the us and the the we in in Genesis chapter 1? It's right here. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When when Matthew Henry says, you know, we were created in God's image and the spiritual world and the natural world were, were brought together in us, we have a unique place in society as human beings. The animals don't have it. The trees don't have it. The planet doesn't have it. Jesus Christ didn't come to redeem them. He came to redeem human beings who were made in the image of God. Now, we discussed uh, uh, several passages in, in our, our small groups last week, and part of the reason I want you to get involved in small groups is you have a chance to ask questions and have your questions answered. Now, let's go back and let's talk about the three big honking statements that we made last week about the Trinity, the three big honking truths, the foundational truths of the Trinity. Number one, it's on your listening guide. God is three persons. Big honking foundational statement number one. God is three persons. Now, letter A under there is the Father is not the Son. This is a big deal, and as we unfold this over the next couple of weeks, you'll understand better. The Father is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Father. This is real important because the cults, and I'm going to tell you about some of them in just a minute, they have distorted. A human being took God's revelation of Himself in the Bible and through Jesus Christ, and they have distorted one or more persons of the Trinity. And they put their own human understanding on who God is, and that's how they got off task. Well, let's look at um, John chapter 1, 1 and 2, and verse 14. This is one of the passages we looked at in small groups last week. In the beginning was the Word. It's capitalized. There's a reason it's capitalized. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, we learn the identity of the Word. It's capitalized. You're saying the Word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, you start saying, who's the Word? Who's the Word that's God? I don't understand you got to go all the way down to verse 14. And it says that the Word became flesh and lived among us. The only one of the Trinity who can fit that description is Jesus Christ. So this says not only in the beginning, which means before the world was ever created, Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. He was separate from God in the beginning. And even more than that, it says that Jesus Christ was God. So the Father is not the Son. Letter B, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Again, you got to understand there are three distinct persons here. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. John fourteen six. but the Counselor, and in case you don't know who the Counselor is, then it's there, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus is talking here. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus, who is separate from God, says, I'm not going to stay with you in this human form. I've got to go back to the Father. When I go back to the Father, He will send the Holy Spirit to you to live inside of you. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, if you read the Bible, He teaches us. He convicts us of sin. He leads us with guidance, but He also leads us to wise counsel. He seals us like a down payment until um, until we give up the ghost on this planet. Until we die, and then that's our seal getting us into heaven is the Holy Spirit seals us. He reminds us of everything that we have forgotten about Jesus, and He also tells us things that we don't know. Don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you knew something and there's no way humanly possible you could have known it? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the way you can know that is the Holy Spirit can bring those things to your mind. He is separate from the Son. So the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Letter C, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. To God's chosen people, that means Christians, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, to God's chosen people who are away from their homes and are scattered all around Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, the reason they were scattered is because they were followers of Jesus Christ. It was not popular back then to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jews hated you. Romans hated you. And so to be a follower of Jesus Christ could cost you your home. These people were scattered because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. God the Father planned long ago to choose you by making you His holy people, which is the Spirit's work. God chose you, and He made you His holy people it's the Spirit's work. God wanted you to obey Him and be made clean by the uh, blood of the death of Jesus Christ. So you see all three persons of, the, of God right there. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God's chosen people means Christians. God the Father is separate from God the Son. God the Son is separate from the Holy Spirit. God is three distinct, distinct persons in one, each with a separate responsibility. Big honking statement number two. Big honking statement number one is God is three persons. Big honking statement number two is each of the three persons is fully God. All right, let's look at this. The Father is God. Now, you're going to understand in just a minute why I'm going over this over and over and giving you Scripture to back it up. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. We have only one God, and He is the Father. He created everything, and we live for Him. Jesus Christ is our only Lord. Everything was made by Him, and by Him life was given to us. So the first thing is we see that the Father is fully God. Letter B, the Son is fully God. Now this is pretty cool. And, and you got to understand the context if you're going to have a good foundation here. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. He deliberately picked a fight with the religious leaders. The religious leaders said you could only do so much work on the Sabbath. If you had animals, you could take water out to them, you could feed them. If an animal fell in a ditch, you could pull the animal out of the ditch, but you couldn't necessarily walk him back to the barn. Um healed a person that you were practicing medicine and that was work and that was against God's law. So a man comes in and, he, and he's got a withered hand. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath in front of the, the uh, religious leaders in church. And they get ticked. And and look what happens. They said, it's the Sabbath. And they tell this guy, you can come six other days of the week. Don't, don't come on the Sabbath. Jesus said, but Jesus said to them, my father never stops working. And so I keep working too. Now look how they reacted. This made them, the Jews, try still harder to kill him. They said first Jesus was breaking the law about the Sabbath. Now he says that God is his own father making himself equal with God. A lot of people today will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. The Jews fully understood what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming equality with God and they wanted to kill him. Now just a a couple of chapters later in John chapter 8, they were asking Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now this is, this is so huge. Because if you go back in the Old Testament, remember when Moses, we, we studied Moses a few weeks ago, Moses sees the burning bush and God says, you're going to go lead my children, um, out of Egypt. And Moses says, no, can't do it. I don't talk so well. And, and God says, I'll talk through you. Anyway, he comes up with all these excuses. One of the excuses was, If I go to the Israelites and say that you, God, have called me to lead them out, what if they say, what is His name? What what is God's name? Who is this God that that told you to lead us out? And so God says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. We don't understand that. What He's saying is, I have always existed. I am means there has never been a time that I wasn't. I am eternally present because I have always existed. I am. So when Jesus in the New Testament says, before Abraham, going back to old Mo, because see, with the Jews, you didn't mess with old Mo. Old Mo was big Mo. He had all of the authority for the Jewish people. So you didn't jack with big Mo. And Jesus is going, oh, before Abraham, you know, the father of your race. Oh, and, and the biggest guy, big Mo, who wrote the first five books of the New Testament, before any of them, I am they were livid if you read the scripture right after that they actually pick up rocks because what you were supposed to do with someone who claimed equality with god you were supposed to get big old rocks throw rocks at them until they died because that was blasphemy the jews fully understood that jesus was claiming to be god especially when he goes back to the old testament that's just unheard of all right so the father is god the son is god let her see the holy spirit is god y'all saw that coming didn't you all pretty quick Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Now you got to understand the context here. Peter was one of the leaders of the church. He was actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And what happened was they had a horrible um, economic situation. <laughs> Nobody knows what that's like. Um, but they had this horrible economic situation where all of the, the uh, uh, followers of Christ were very poor. All of the Jews were very poor. And so everybody was selling their land and giving it to the church, and the church was distributing to whoever needed it. Well, this one couple named Ananias and Sapphira, they decide they're going to sell some land. The problem was, they decided they were going to sell it and whatever they got, they were going to hide part of the sale and bring it to the the disciples, to Peter and and the rest of the apostles there. He was going to lay it, they were going to lay it at the feet and say, um, we sold our land for this much and we're giving it all to, so they were trying to look more spiritual than they were. Look what happens in in Acts chapter 5. Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why did you let Satan rule your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep for yourself part of the money you received from the land? Now here's the key. He's not saying it's a bad deal that you didn't give us all the money. He's saying it's bad that you lied. Before you sold the land, it belonged to you. And even after you sold it, you could have used the money any way you wanted to. Why did you think of doing this? You lied to God, not to us. Now look at the first part. He says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Then at the last of the the passage, he says, you lied to God. Peter is equating the Holy Spirit with God. All right, so big honking statement number one is God is three persons. Big honking statement number two is each is fully God. Big honking statement number three, God is one. Now, we talked about this in my small group. Is that a contradiction to say God is three persons and, and God is one? No, a contradiction would be to say God is one and God is not one. We're talking about a mystery, the greatest mystery of all time, and we're talking about how God has revealed Himself to us. Now, let's look at this God is one. Go all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible, He starts off with this. It was called the Shema. Any good Jew knew this verse, knew where it was found, and would quote it several times during the day. So here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. From the beginning of the Bible till the end of Revelation, it says that God is one. And it labels every other God as a false God. Now you go to the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. God is one. Now, here's the deal. If you think about this, um, you know, there's all kinds of, of uh, analogies that people use to try to explain the Trinity. Probably the best analogy that I've come across is not 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 3. We know that's not, a, that's not a mathematical reality. 1 times 1 times 1 is what? 1. If you think about the triangle, is about the best symbol that we have because if you take any one part of that triangle out, you don't have a triangle any longer. And each person of, of God, each of the three persons, has a specific responsibility. Jesus came from God so that we might have a way back to God. And because Jesus has reconciled me to God, anyone who prays and asks Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of life is reconciled to God. I don't need a priest to pray, because the Bible says Jesus always lives to make intercession. That means to pray on my behalf. And the Holy Spirit, we're promised in the Bible that even when I am so weighed down with with emotions, something has happened that just kicks me in the gut spiritually. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes my groanings that are too deep even for words and translates them in front of God the Father. So if that's true, if, if no other religion has anything like this, why do people get messed up and start following the wrong God? Well, we got a video that we want to show you where um, in our nation's capital some people were asked, is there only one way? Notice what they say. think that there is one God and I think that there's just many ways to get to him, many ways to get to him, many ways to get to him. Do you think there is one specific religion that is right or are all religions good or right? All religions are right. All religions are right. I don't think one specific one's. Do you believe that there is one true religion, or are all of them true? I would say that there is not one true religion, but I don't know if all of them are true. I think it's really arrogant to say that like, my religion is the right religion and everybody else is wrong, um, because how do you know yours is right? You could be like, you could, that's just what your parents taught you and what, how you were raised. How, like, how do you know that your neighbor doesn't have the right religion or whatever and that yours is wrong? I think all religions are trying to get at the same thing. That- answers that every culture is looking for and for higher meaning but i don't think there's one right religion uh, no. i think they're all good um... i don't think there should be a set one because um, everybody has you know every, every religion has their you know ups and downs and their are little different things that people can relate to and some have some that people want and others don't. I don't believe one religion is more equal than another. I believe that religion was created by man to help understand the being that's greater than itself, whether that be something that it created man or whether it's been something that was just guiding man. It's something that man has created in in an effort to understand it. Well, I'm like non-denominational, which is kind of like Christian, but we read the Book of Mormon, and my best friend is Jewish, so like... How would it be right of me to say, well, since you guys don't believe, like, Jesus died for our sins, that that makes you a bad person. I mean, she's my best friend. I think as long as you're a good person and um, you contribute to life and everything, then whatever's supposed to happen in the afterworld, you'll get. At the base of every religion is being a good person. And I think how it's interpreted by different groups is what changes. Do you believe that there is one specific religion that is true, or do you believe that all of them are true? I believe, as long as they believe in the Lord, then all of them are right. But as far as one religion higher than the other one, if there's different gods, I don't don't believe in that. Okay, what do you mean by the Lord? Um, Jesus Christ, God. Half of my friends are Muslim. I'm Christian. They love to be around me because we can intellectually get into any conversation. I, I think that God, and I was reading the scripture last night, but I think that God communicates to people and the various religions. And I think that if you were brought up or raised and you believe in a certain religion, then yeah, you should follow that route to God. But I think that there is one God, and I think that there's just many ways to get to Him, many ways to get to Him. Trinity is the foundation of Christianity, and uh, if you need some other, if you want further study, get the uh, CD or go to iTunes and get last week's message, but if, if the Trinity is the foundation, um, then you need to understand it to understand who God is. We've been in this building about, uh, about 10 months now, and um, when we started in the whole process of purchasing this building the bank wanted us to get an inspection. We had to get a commercial inspection because it's a commercial building. And you know what the first thing the uh, inspector looked at was? The foundation. Why? Because foundations matter. It didn't matter what the rest of the steel structure was. If the foundation was bad, nobody in their right mind would clear us to even occupy this building. But once we found out the foundation was okay, then we could worry about the other stuff. Then we could begin our renovations. Foundations matter Truth matters. Sincerity does not matter. What if I were to tell you that this stage, I sincerely believe that this stage is three feet wide? What would you say to me? I'd say you're pretty stupid, right? And i said, no, 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 but I sincerely believe it. This stage is three feet wide. And if you wanted to prove me wrong, what would you do? Come here, dude. Hustle. Hustle, hustle. It's three feet wide. I'm telling you, it's three feet wide. Holy cow. It's 26 feet wide. But I sincerely believed it. But my belief didn't match up with the facts, did it? There are people that are going to bust hell wide open because they sincerely believe that their view of God is right. And it is not arrogant to say that there is one way to God because Jesus Christ, the founder of our religion... The founder of Christianity said, there is one way. He said, he is it. And so people say, oh, you're narrow-minded. It bothers people, the exclusivity of Christianity. But we're not being any more exclusive than the one we say we worship. And people that say to you, oh, well, um, all roads lead to God. What they're really saying is I'm ignorant of world religions. Have y'all seen the smoothie things around? Now, we don't have a smoothie. Well, I guess we do have a couple of smoothie places. But you go to a mall and you've seen smoothies, right? Anybody like smoothies? What's the cool thing about a smoothie? It's good. But even cooler, cooler than that, you can individualize your smoothie. See, like me, strawberries and bananas, bueno. I could, I could have a strawberry and banana. You put some of that other goofy stuff in there, I don't like it. But you can pick whatever you want to, and you can put it in there, and you can have your smoothie, and you can just have this great time. A lot of people do that with God. Oh, well, I like a God of love. I don't like a God of discipline. I like heaven. I don't like hell. I I, I like being good to my neighbor, but I don't want to hear about sin. And people put this in their own blender, and they mix it up, and they think, that's going to get me to God. Well, in God's blender, there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's none other. And God says, I know of no other gods, and he calls everything else false. Well, let's look at some of these things. All religions are not the same. Christianity is totally unique. In Islam, now, because a lot of people will say, Oh, well, Islam follows the same God. They just call him Allah. Well, let, let me let me explain a couple of things to you. In Islam, Allah, God, is a distant God who cannot be approached. Humans dare not approach Him. And that helps explain why uh, in Muslim countries they're run by a dictator who has absolute authority. They're patterning their society after their belief in God. It helps us understand why in their families the, the husband is the supreme being in that home, and women and children are inferior. That's a reflection of their idea of God. In the Muslim uh, religion, they teach that Jesus Christ is not God's Son. They teach that Jesus was a prophet. He was a good prophet, but He's not even the best prophet. The best prophet was Muhammad. They say that Jesus did not die on the cross because Allah would not allow one of His prophets to die on a cross. But in the God of Christianity not only allowed Jesus Christ to die on the cross, He predicted it in the pages of the Old Testament and approved of Jesus Christ dying on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin and for mine. Cannot be the same God. Muhammad was the last and greatest prophet greater even than Jesus Christ. Different foundation. Different God. Mormons deny the Trinity. In Mormonism, everybody can be a God, lowercase g. Joseph Smith was the founder of the Mormon religion. He said that God the Father had not always been God, that in fact one day the God who, who revealed Himself to Joseph Smith was a man just like you and I, but He eventually became a God. And we can become a God if we follow a path like Him. In Christianity, Jesus is one person of the Trinity, The self-existent creator of all things, but in Mormonism, Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, conceived in heaven by a celestial mother, and came in flesh as the result of the father having sex with the Virgin Mary. Christians believe that they're going to stand before God dressed in the spotless robes of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Mormons believe that they're going to stand before the Heavenly Father, this man who now became God, dressed in fig leaf aprons, holding our good works in our hands. Different foundation, different God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that God the Father created Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is inferior to God the Father. They teach their devotees that the Trinity is a freakish, three-headed looking God created by Satan. And that Jesus is merely a God, lowercase g, not the God. They also teach you that if you uh, you cannot read the Bible by yourself and understand it, total truth here, they say if you read the Bible and nothing else but the Bible, you'll come to the same conclusion in two years or less as Christians have. They say that proves that you need the watchtower organization to explain things to you because you can't possibly understand it on your own. In the Watchtower theology, Jesus was created by God as the Archangel Michael. He came to earth while He was on earth. He was just a human being, not God in the flesh. He died on a stake, not on a cross. And then after His crucifixion on a a stake, He recreated Himself as an immaterial spirit creature in heaven. Different foundation, different God. One sect of Hinduism, lists 330 million different gods. Different foundation, different God. If you study the world religions, you'll discover that they cannot coexist because they teach contrary things. Here is our standard. Here is the tape measure of everything that we're about. And if something doesn't measure up to this, to the facts... You have to reject it. And I'm sorry that that makes me narrow-minded. But if Jesus is really the only way, why wouldn't I follow Him? Why wouldn't I be just as narrow-minded as the founder of the religion I say I'm a part of? Tellers in a bank can, can spot counterfeits. You know Why? because they spend so much time dealing with the real that when a counterfeit comes across in front of them, they recognize it? Christians are supposed to be just as able to spot fakes because they know the real deal. The problem is, we don't have a clue about God as He's revealed Himself in the pages of the Bible. This is my authority. Not the newspaper, not the internet, Wikipedia. That is not my authority. This is my authority. And a lot of people rip trash out of here. I don't like that trash because it doesn't agree with me. Well, this is God's Word. And you've got to decide are you going to follow it or not. Several years ago, one of our best friends gave Janie a book and she, well, she raved about this book and raved about this book. And Janie started reading it and, and I didn't know anything about it. and So I didn't say anything, didn't know anything about it. Janie started reading it. This probably ten years ago. And uh she started sharing just little bits and pieces. She goes, That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. She goes, Would you read it? And so I I bust it open. I start reading it. And just inside of me there was this weird feeling. And I said, I said, Janie, I think this author is Mormon. Because the things that they're describing are are contradictory to what we teach in the Bible. And so I started studying. I started looking up things. I'm going, dude, that's in direct contradiction. That 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 contradicts this. And so I started studying the author, and I found out that, yes, the author was very much Mormon. And and her understanding of God was completely different than the understanding from Scripture. The Bible says that when you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you and will tell you things you don't even know. Janie was, was um, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and she said, something's not right here. She gave the book to me. I read it and I said, you're right, something's not right here. If you don't know, you can be taken captive by that. So we've got to know who the real God is. If you're a Christian, you're a believer in the Trinity. God has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this teaching is not to give you more knowledge. I am so sick of Christians who say, I need more worship, I need more Bible study. Don't ever say that to me, by the way. Because I'll tell you what you need to do is be obedient to what you already know. God has this thing where people that He finds that He can trust and who are obedient to Him, He gladly teaches you more things. The folks I know that are miserable in their walk with Jesus Christ sit up and they criticize everything. It takes, it doesn't take a big person to criticize. A big person goes before God and comes back with solutions. We say this all the time at our leadership meetings. Don't come with problems, come with solutions. Small people can see problems. It takes a bigger person to figure out solutions. If you're a Christian, you already have more than you're doing. So what are you going to do about it? God doesn't care how much knowledge you have. I don't care how much knowledge you have. I do want you to grow up, so that means you've got to put into practice some of the things you know. Jesus said, if you love Him, you will obey Him. Love equals obedience. Some of you need to ask Christ to be the forgiver and the leader of your lives. You need to come into the family of God today. Some of you need to join New Life. There's a a sheet back there. The way you join New Life is you have to go through class 101, Discovering Church Membership. There's a sheet back there. When we get five or six names on there, we have a class, and then you have the opportunity to say, yes, I believe God is calling me here. Some of you need to do that. You've been attending, it's time to put your name on the list. Some of you need to get baptized. We've had several people baptized in the last few weeks as a public testimony that Jesus Christ is the one that they're following, which is a public testimony that they're going to be narrow-minded in their understanding of life and life after death. Some of you need to tithe. We say this all the time, and, and I honestly believe some people don't join because they don't want to have to tithe. But I always say, too, that you know if you're a regular attender, we expect you to tithe. If you read the Bible, the Bible says 10% is what you're supposed to give. That's not something that you strive to be a super Christian. That's the starting point of someone who follows Jesus Christ. If you're just going to say, oh, I can't do that, then at least start somewhere and say, God, as you increase my my uh, uh, salary, then I'll increase my giving to you. Test God that way because it's the only time in Scripture that God said, test me was when it came to money. He said, you give to the church, test me and see if I won't provide for you. Throw open the windows of heaven and provide a blessing for you so great you can't contain it. Some of you need to tithe. Some of you need to be in small groups. But men, some of us need to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Sacrificing for her. That He might present himself, her to Himself spotless, without any blemish. Guys, are you loving your wives like that? It's real quiet. Ladies, you need to submit to your husbands like Jesus Christ did to God the Father. Oh, don't go there! Well, don't even mouth off to me about that. Because if your husband is loving you like Christ loved the church, of course you're gonna, you're gonna elbow him and say this. When I love Janie like Christ loved the church, submission is never an issue in our home. It's when I'm a jerk that submission is an issue in our home. Ladies, God didn't call you to nag him to death. Read First Peter chapter three. If your, if your husband is not living like he should be, the Bible says that you live in such a way that you win him over without words. Oh crud, that's in there. Children, honor your parents. Now, when you grow up and you become an adult, the Bible doesn't say to obey your parents all your life, but if you're still in their home, if they're still paying more than 50% of what your life consists of, obeying your parents is really all you're supposed to do. Honoring, though, goes on for a lifetime. world's sitting around eating popcorn watching the church waiting to see what we're going to do. Do they see the Trinity? Do they see that you take this thing seriously? Could be that your life is the reason some family members and some of your friends have not come to Christ. They don't see consistency there. They don't see Jesus Christ.